Grace and mercy and peace be with you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. We've been working our way through the life of David over the last few weeks, and so this is the the final of a three-week sermon series on the life of David. In these three weeks, we've seen young David go to battle against Goliath. Last week, we watched as, uh, as David, who had been anointed king, is fleeing from King Saul, who has a deep hatred for him, and, and, and David is on the run until Saul finally takes his own life, and David ascends to the throne as king over Israel. And that's where the story begins today, with David as king. And when David takes the throne, things start to go well for him. Power, prestige, uh, honor. A military success, an expansive kingdom, plans to build a temple for the worship of God. The, the things have been going well for David as he, as a man, has been a man seeking after the heart of God, always leaning on the word of God. But then David falls. He falls for her. He falls from the top, on the rooftop one day, and he falls from the top to the very bottom. A man after the heart of God seeks after his own selfish, greedy, lustful heart. Watch this. One day, King David was walking around the roof of his palace and saw a woman bathing in her home. Her name was Bathsheba, the wife of a soldier named Uriah, who was off fighting in the war. David thought she was beautiful and sent his messengers to get her. They brought her to him and David and Bathsheba slept with one another. Shortly after, Bathsheba sent word to David that she was pregnant with David's child. To hide what he had done, David quickly devised a plan. He called Uriah back from the war, hoping that he would sleep with Bathsheba and it would look like he had gotten her pregnant. But when Uriah came home, he slept on a mat outside his house because he didn't want to disrespect his fellow soldiers still at war by living comfortably while he was at home. So David came up with another plan. He sent Uriah back to the battlefield and instructed the commander to put Uriah on the front lines of battle where he was most likely to be killed. And that's exactly what happened. Shortly after, David married Bathsheba, and she gave birth to their son. But God was unhappy with David and sent Nathan to tell him a story. There were two men, one rich and one poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little lamb who was like a child to him. Now a guest comes to the home of the rich man. But instead of taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal, the rich man steals the poor man's one sheep and kills it. David was furious. This man must die for what he has done, David said. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. David immediately realized how wrong he had been and confessed to Nathan and to God all of the things he had done. Even though God forgave David, there were still terrible consequences because of his actions. David and Bathsheba's infant son became sick and died. 
Then, years later, their second son, Absalom, did something no one, even David, expected. He gathered an army together to overthrow his father as king. Before the battle began, David gave instructions to his soldiers not to kill Absalom. But during the battle, Absalom was riding a mule under the thick branches of a large oak tree and his hair got caught in the tree, leaving him hanging as the mule rode away. One of David's commanders, Joab, found Absalom. And despite David's instructions, he and his soldiers drove their spears through Absalom and killed him. Because of this, David was heartbroken, wishing that it had been him who died instead of his son. Even after these tragedies, David continued to worship God. He had not forgotten about God's promise to one day build the temple. So David told his son, Solomon, that he was to start building it. In his final days as king, David led the Israelites in worship of God for all of the ways that God had helped them and provided for them over the years. Then, shortly before his death, David handed over his kingship to Solomon. Falling from the top. David had it all, yet he wanted more. He fell from the top of, of his power and his success. David did. David fell. This man who was after the very heart of God, as we emphasized last week, a man who sought after the heart of God, fell into his moment of temptation and sin. Why does this seem to happen so often? It is obviously not something new, as we see stories like this, even in the scriptures. Powerful people falling, falling into moments of sin. Why does this seem to happen? It's nothing new, but we have seen and heard reports over and over again in our, in our media and in our culture over the last months and years. Whether it be things like the, the scandal in the Catholic Church, or the results of the Me Too movement. And I hate to tell you, it's not just the Catholic Church, but it invades every church body, even within the uh, Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. There have been pastors and leaders who have fallen into moments of uh, adultery and, and things like that. And frankly, it's not just us, but it is Christianity at large. Uh, even within the last couple of weeks, it was made known that Bill Hybels, who uh, started Willow Creek Church, one of the largest uh, churches probably in the world, uh, had been leading and in, in, been involved in inappropriate relationships with a variety of different women over the course of a few decades. It's that side of our human sin, uh, those warts on the bottoms of our feet, that we just don't really want anybody to know about. You have those sins in your life? The ones that you just don't want anybody to know about, just bury them, hide them. I don't want anybody to see that. David did, obviously, and he did everything that he could to cover his tracks. David did everything he could to cover his adulterous tracks. He, he, Bathsheba, this woman he fell for, that, that he impregnated. He, he, her husband was out at war, Uriah. So David brought Uriah back, tried to get him to sleep with his own wife, but he wouldn't do it. You saw in the video. His, soul, his buddies were out fighting, and he didn't want to have that comfort of being at home, so he slept outside in the ground. 
David's first plot, uh, foiled. <laughs> the, the other option he comes up with is, I, I basically need to get Uriah killed, and David can't just murder him, so coincidentally, he just sends him to the front lines of battle, where it's highly likely he will get killed in battle, and that is what happens. Uriah dies in battle. Phew, right? It's clear now. David marries Bathsheba, brings her into his house. Why does this seem to happen? Why do these falls from the top continue to plague leaders inside the church and outside the church? Obviously, the easy answer to this is sin. This is a broken world. Satan loves to sneak into the minds and the hearts of people, particularly those who love him. And Satan loves to tempt people to fall away from that heart of God. Now, what are some of the ways that we see this happening? I think on the different extremes, you have people who who fall into sin, whether it's leadership positions or not, people who fall into sin, who who, who just disregard God altogether, disregard the will of God, and just that's what they want when they want it, and so they're going to have it, and they're going to pursue it. It's just that total selfish, prideful, uh, needy, sin. On the other hand, though, on the other hand, Satan works very, very hard in people's lives, and he breaks them. He breaks their spirits, and he creates an attitude of anxiousness or or depression, so much so that, that when people fall into some of these traps and these temptations, when they fall from the top, sometimes it's because they're so depressed in their state that they're just simply looking for something else to make themselves feel better. And instead of seeking out that heart of God or seeking out the community of believers to encourage them to walk in the light of Jesus Christ, they're pushed further into the despair of darkness. There's been quite a bit of research done on leadership and uh, pastoral leadership in particular as, as, as I think about it mostly indicating that many people in leadership, and in particular in pastoral leadership, uh, many suffer from forms of anxiety and depression. And this can lead to all kinds of uh, bad situations on one extreme or another, one of immense pride and just just grasping at the power, but also to other states, uh, states of, of despair and darkness that have often even led to places like suicide. Now, within the last few months, uh, the Christian church at large in America, uh, if you pay attention to this stuff, has, has, has seen the gamut of these things just in the last couple of weeks. Uh, there's been another bout of the Catholic Church scandal that's popping up. I mentioned this, uh, this guy, Bill Hybels, has been accused multiple times. And just about two weeks ago, there was a young pastor about my age with a wife and uh, three young boys in California um, who took his own life. Just a, just a surprise and a shock to everybody. Uh, not because of any sort of extramarital affair, just because he was in such a, such a, a lost and dark and deep uh, state of depression that nobody really even knew about. After that last event in the last number of weeks, there was an article that was written and was being circulated online, and a number of my colleagues that serve as pastors were, were sharing this uh, and sharing it with their congregations. And I just uh, thought it would be helpful to share uh, some of these findings with 
as well. Uh, this article uh, identifies five reasons oftentimes that, pa- that pastors battle depression. And, and here are those five. Uh, one being spiritual warfare, uh, that, that the, the, the thing of being a pastor is a very a thing that Satan wants to disrupt and, uh, and, and really seek to ravage. Uh, the weight of pastoral leadership, uh, that there's just a, a burden that's placed upon uh, pastors in general. A uh, sense of inadequacy, oftentimes the modern pastor is expected to be able to be a jack of all trades and excel at all of them, and, and many pastors feel inadequate at that. Uh, in a lot of circumstances, pastors are, are uh, kind of that death by a thousand cuts, critics and bullies, uh, not one big blow, but just a lot of things. And finally, loneliness. For a lot of pastors, it's difficult to find genuine friendship. I share that with you today, uh, not because I personally uh, am battling any sort of diagnosable uh, depression or anything like that. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm incredibly grateful for the situation that we all have here. I thank you for your support and, and the love and the care and the concern that you all have for me, and, and the feeling is mutual. Uh, but I share this with you today because I do understand the weight and the burden of this office and, and kind of the leadership of pastoral office in general. And I hope that we as a congregation don't keep the health and the partnership and ministry that we have to ourselves, uh, but that we would be a congregation and a, and a people who pray for our leaders and, and pastors in general, that they would be people who constantly seek after the heart of God and pursue the light of Jesus Christ and not the darkness that Satan would want to lead us into. And I share this with you today as we, as we look at this situation with David, right? This, this man after the heart of God, as I emphasized to you last week. He didn't want to kill Saul because the heart of God said, don't do it, right? The man after the heart of God. How does a man like that fall into such a, a deep state of, of, of temptation and sin, right? I, I wonder, you know, this is a real man, and we read these stories and we go, okay, you know, nice story. This is a real man. And I wonder, I wonder what sort of burdens David was dealing with. You know, what, what, what were the, the burdens and the, what was on his heart, right? What was on his heart? You know, he was doing so much good. He was this man after God's own heart. And we hear it said often even of these other people that I, that, I, that I told you about, whether it be the Catholic priests or Bill Hybels or this, or this young pastor who took his life, people look at all these situations and they, and they say, such good people, such, such men sharing the word of God. How does this sort of thing happen? The good news today that I want you to hear, and that's not just for pastors but for everybody, is that God's grace is for sinners like this. God's grace is for sinners like this, and this is where the story of David takes us. God is gracious to David, an adulterer, a liar, a murderer. You think the grace of God is not for you? It is. This is where the story of David takes us. The grace of God is for him. David is contrite in his heart. Do you know that word, contrition? Contrition? It's, David felt bad. That's what contrite means. He had contrition in his heart. He felt bad. He knew what he had done was wrong. That humble, broken spirit. And a friend of his, a prophet, Nathan, is the one who has to bring him to this state of confession to finally open up about what he has done. And then David confesses his sin. And he seeks forgiveness in God alone. The psalm that was read for you before by Carrie, Psalm 51, This was what David wrote after this sin with Bathsheba. It is his heartfelt prayer. And what did he pray in Psalm 51? This, 
Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Those are words from a broken man, a man whose heart was supposed to be seeking after the heart of God, who fell into his own sinful, selfish heart, and now he's saying, clean my heart, Lord. Clean my heart. I want a new spirit within me. And God responds to David favorably. There are very real and temporal consequences for the sin of David. You saw them in the video. Uh, the, the son that was born out of that adulterous moment, that son as an infant died. I've never had a child die, but some of you have. You know that hurt. I know that this plagued David throughout his life. Later on, his other son, Absalom, tried to throw him uh, out of his throne to kill him and seek battle with him, and, and Absalom is killed. We know that there are practical consequences for David's sin. Here's the deal. David is not perfect after this moment. He's not perfect. He still makes mistakes. He still sins. And yet this is a story about God's relentless love for his people. It is a story about God's bold grace and his steadfast promise keeping. And we see this story unfold when we get to that final heir of the throne and the reign of King David, who is Jesus and there on the cross of Calvary, he stretched his arms open wide to welcome who into his family? Sinners, like you and me. And on that cross, Jesus extended his hand of grace to a criminal dying next to him. During his ministry, Jesus spent time forgiving people like Samaritans and sinners alike. And today, the word of God, Jesus is here for you, for your forgiveness. For your forgiveness, especially and in particular the warts of sin that you want to hide on the bottoms of your feet for those sins too. I want to extend to you an offer today. If you are struggling, whether it be with anxiety or depression, this is not things that just plague pastors and leaders. If you are struggling in such a way, or if, if you are in a place that you are hiding a sin and it is plaguing you deeply, would you please reach out? Please reach out. I extend to you the hand of the grace of God Almighty. I will walk with you no matter where you are. And I tell you boldly today, the grace of God is for people like you. So I pray that we will be people who pray for our leaders, who pray for our pastors. I envy your prayers, and I thank you for your partnership in ministry. But may we all be people who constantly seek the heart of God and not our own hearts. And when we fall, let us be people who openly confess those sins so that we can receive that full weight of the grace of God. Now, my dear friends in Christ, may the peace of God, which goes beyond our human understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in the one true faith into life everlasting. Amen. Amen. One quick announcement. I, I just want to share this uh, with you next week. We're going to shift gears. As we, as we head into our rally day next week, we're going to do what we do on an annual basis. We have a four-week fall ministry kickoff. This year it's called Joining Jesus. Uh, joining Jesus. And what we'll hear over these four weeks is how our God is a missionary God and how Jesus has extended to us the invitation to join him 
in his missionary work. Uh, uh, at this website that's, that's here, uh, we have small group Bible studies that we encourage you to participate in. I know we have about 10 groups that have already formed. Um, if you or a group of friends would, would like to gather together and study these materials together, we'd love to do that with you. If you're thinking about doing that, would you please reach out uh, to me and we'll get you the materials. But if, if for some reason you can't get into a group, um, all the small group materials, videos, and discussion guides are all available at this website. Um, so if, if, if nothing else, in your own personal devotions or family devotions or something like that, um, I pray that you join us as we um, hear the word on Sundays and get into that word on Wednesdays as well. And just a quick reminder as well with that next slide, we'll be outside, all right? Put that last slide up. If you didn't hear the announcement before, outside at 10 a.m., bring a chair, back inside after, all right?